Uh, we, uh, we started this little series last week where we're, we're sort of just hanging out in these, in these letters from Paul to the churches. And, and I encourage you to read First and Second Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians. And some of you did it and some of you didn't. And it's not too late. You can still do it this week. But um, those are going to be the four messages where we're just, the four books of the Bible where we're hanging out and spending our time. And we sort of started this whole thing around, the, around this foundational verse in 2 Corinthians 6, 14. And it says this, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what can fellowship or what, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And Paul wrote that, and that's saying, and go ahead and throw that picture up of a yoke for me, if you don't mind. So and leave that up for just a little bit. We, we talked about this last week. What Paul is saying is, Paul has willingly made himself a slave to Christ, a servant to Christ. And that yoke is that wooden thing that those two, uh, I guess, the, are those ox or cows? Those two ma- mammals, that's... I'm not a zoologist, I'm a pastor. Uh, those are cows. Those two cows are wearing, I thought I Googled uh, ox, but it doesn't matter. Those two cows are wearing a yoke, right? And, and because they're a yoke, they're slave to the master or the one who's driving them. And so Paul says, don't be yoked with someone who's not serving the same master you are. I mean, because a couple of things end up happening. Can you imagine if, if those things were being pulled in two different directions by two different masters? How effective would that be? Or if you had a, a, one of those cows yoked next to a zebra and they don't do the same thing and they go different ways, that wouldn't make... Or if one of those cows tried to wear two different yokes, how... Un, I mean, one looks horrible, bless their heart. Two would just be ridiculous, Right? So Paul's saying, don't be yoked together with people who serve a different master than you do. If your master is God, Jehovah, the God, the one true God, and you're a slave, you're a servant to Jesus Christ, then you should be yoked together with people who are doing the same thing. And so Paul was not yoked together with the people of this world because Paul's God was not the God of this world. Paul's God was the one who created this world. And that's very different. So Paul is simply saying here, you can't serve two masters. And then Jesus comes along later and says the exact same thing. Right? Jesus said it before Paul. Jesus said, you, you can't serve two masters. You're, you're going to end up not liking one. or it, just, it doesn't work. So you want to be yoked together with people who are serving God. And the basic theory of this for the next few weeks is, The world is serving these idols, and we are serving God. We are slaves. We are yoked to God, and so we should look very different than the world around us. And if we don't look different and talk different and act different and think different, then it's possible we're serving the same God they are. And so our attempt over the next four weeks is to name some of the idols of this world, to identify some of the idols of this world. And to make sure we're not under a yoke of a master that we don't really belong to. And so Paul willfully made himself a slave to Christ. And it led him to beatings, shipwrecks. Any of you ever been in a shipwreck? That'd be odd. Probably not. Doesn't happen too often. Paul was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. He was beaten, uh, tortured, abused, uh, left his money and friends and all those things and had nothing 
which had to confuse Paul a little bit because he knew these words that Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, when Jesus said this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what Jesus said. At some point when Paul was being beaten for Jesus, don't you think he meant, Jesus, what part of this is easy or light? I mean, at some point, Paul had to be a little confused because if you've ever served Christ with all of your being, with all that you've got, there are days when it does not feel easy or light. I'm willing to bet many of you, like me, there was a day when you traded masters and you began to follow Christ. And life wasn't instantly easy or light, was it? You actually begin to run into some, some oppression. You begin to experience some difficulties. But if Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, it's easy and light. I, I was reading that this week and, and I had a, a conversation with Stuart. And Stuart is the, the student's pastor here. And he and I were talking about how so often in this job, it doesn't feel easy or light. This is actually, uh, pastoring is one of the highest burnout rates of any job in the world. I mean, it, which is odd because I only work like three hours a week on Sunday. <laughs> Apparently some of them burn out really easy. But I mean, it, it is. It's serving God and trying to do the right. It's not always easy. Like, but Paul, who's a slave of Christ, Paul knows far more than I how, in, how incredibly difficult this job is. But Paul said, I count it rubbish. Anything else compared to the all-surpassing joy of serving Jesus Christ. Paul said, take it all, man. Take it all. To live is to serve him, to die is to gain because I'll be with him. Paul said, Jesus, that yoke fits. And as I begin to research that verse, when it says the yoke is easy, that actually translates into the yoke is well-fitting. That's a little different, isn't it? That's why you can't proof text the Bible and pull out one verse and base everything on it. Because that, that word easy, the yoke is easy, means the yoke fits. The yoke fits. The yoke of Christ is the yoke we were designed to wear. We were designed to be slaves and servants to Jesus. And it's, it's interesting because it's only in becoming a slave to Jesus that you will ever truly find freedom. It's like the strangest irony or like in this slavery is the essence of real, true freedom. But I'll never find that freedom until I become a slave. And it, it doesn't make sense. But if you've experienced it, you know it's true. Because when I am a slave to Christ, I am free to live exactly as I was designed to live. It, I, I've talked to my friends about this before, and they're like, man, you, you have all these rules and regulations about what you'll do and don't do. And I'm like, I know. And those parameters, those guardrails that Christ has given me, that keeps me free. I mean, it, there is freedom in making yourself a slave to Christ. And it's the kind of freedom you cannot find anywhere else and Paul understood that and the truth is this we are all going to be a slave to something you will be a slave to something in the next four weeks we're going to explore some of the things that we're slaves to but you will be a slave to something but only one thing that you can ever be a slave to will actually set you free and that's why we're going after these lower g false gods that elevate themselves over the power and presence of our God 
And if you weren't here last week, you, you know, if you were here last week, I warned you. If you weren't, I'm sorry. But here's the four gods we're going after, lower G, idol gods. Money and sex and family and self. And we've identified these as, as the four idols that are constantly trying to weave themselves over the power and the presence. I should have done a fifth one, and I may do it, called busy. Because busy, matter of fact, y'all just convinced me. Busy <laughs> is a God we all serve. I mean, but these are the idols in our life. And so today we're going to talk about an incredibly difficult idol. And it's going to be tough because this one's persuasive and this one's difficult. And, and every time we mention the word money in church, people, just, they get all puckered up, you know, it's all, right? But it's real. And none of these, I mean, none of these money, sex, drugs, sell, any idol, whatever idol we have, it does not ever satisfy. That's why you find no freedom in it. It's not like if you have more, you ever feel sufficient. There's not enough sex. There's not enough money. There's not enough family. There's, there's always this desire for more. So these gods we serve, we set them up to fail because they can't possibly do what we've asked them to do, and that's make us feel complete. They don't have the power. And so today, we are going to talk about money. And let me warn you, next week, we're going to talk about sex. And the week after that, which I think will probably be the one where the most people will get bothered. We're going to talk about family. And then we're going to talk about self. But today, we're dealing with a little God called money. And I want you to hear this. Money is not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, we've done a lot of really good things with money. And we have done some amazing things in this community with money. We have provided for people. We have clothed people. We, we've given people transportation. We have rescued some people. We have, we have built an incredible place for people to come and worship and experience God. We're in this, this tank right here cost money. Portablebaptistry.com didn't give this one to me for free because they love Jesus. Like we had to pay for this. And today we're going to baptize like 10 or 11 people in this. It costs money. And that is great. Amen. That's good. I encourage you to come check that out. Uh, so money's not bad. Money is an inanimate object. It has no power or no authority. But as I read this book from cover to cover, God's people have a history of worshiping inanimate objects. In the Old Testament, it was a golden calf. Today, it's a little piece of paper. We make these things our God. But if you believe that you are a slave to Christ, then your approach and the way you look at money and the way you think about money should look different than someone who's a slave to money. If, if, your primary, if your primary allegiance is to God, then the way this book describes it should matter to you. And so today we're just going to go through some things. And some of them are, you're like, eh, that's cool, I can do that. Some of them you're going to be like, boo, you know, whatever. Your beef is not with me. I didn't write this book. I mean, really, with my attention span, I would have fizzled out around Exodus 1. You know, that's it. You know what? They can figure the rest out on their own. I'm going to skip ahead here to John. But your beef is with Paul and Jesus Christ. And, and I just want to remind you again, if you find this topic highly offensive, the truth is we just picked a fight with your God. And so embrace that and prepare yourself. And let's deal with it accordingly as people who are slaves to Christ. The first verse I want to deal with is, is 2 Corinthians 10.5, and it says this. 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Leave that one up there for him. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Stuart did a great job. He used this in a, if any of you guys were at a, the student worship Wednesday night, Stuart used this same verse, and I'm going to do it a little better than he did, but, but he did use the same one. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm the lead pastor, but no, he did really good. We demolish arguments, and we're going to use this same verse for all the idols we're going to face, okay? Every idol, we're going to use this same verse, because God wants you to take every captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Every emotion, everything, everything becomes obedient to Christ. So if that is an overarching theme for everything in our life, then what is your money obedient to? Say it. Christ. Is it obedient to you? It's a, take everything, anything that sets itself up against God, every thought, everything. If, if that's true, then who is your money obedient to? You or Christ? Who, who, who is your money? We won't even, we'll get to that one in a minute. Who is your money designed to serve? You or Christ? And, and the funny thing about this, and I was, I was thinking about this week, God doesn't just want your money. I mean, he, he wants you to trust him with, with your money, but he wants you to trust him with the thoughts and emotions you have around your money. Like, that's hard. Like, I might be able to trust him with a few bucks, but I'm still going to have my thoughts because money gives security. Money gives identity. Money gives purpose. Uh, many people find uh, the, the entirety of themselves are bound by whatever numbers in their bank account. And if you go on a good day, you feel good. And if you go on a bad day, you feel... He doesn't just want the act of handing the money. He wants all the thoughts and emotions surrounding it. Like he literally wants everything. As I, I was writing this, I got this image in my head. And this is not, not sacrilegious, so don't freak out. But you know how like when you... When you have a new favorite toy, if there's a little kid in the room, they want that. Like whatever thing your favorite thing is, that's what he wants. Why? Because he wants you. And so he says, he says whatever, whatever sets itself up against me, and money has a way of weaving itself. You know how many, how many decisions we've made around money? How many choices we made around money? How many little ethical, little bitty, tiny ethical sacrifices we've made around money, right? He says, anything that sets itself up against me, I want everything. I want the thoughts, the emotions. And over time, he wants to take you to a place where when you have, your first thought is not, oh, how much should I give? Your first thought is, God, how much do I dare keeping? Because it all belongs to you. Second verse, and this is a good one. This, this was so good to me. In 2 Corinthians 8, 1, it says this. And now, brothers, and this is Paul, and he's writing in one of his churches. He says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know that the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing to God's people. 
Leave that last line there. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to God's people. He's writing a letter to a church that is in extreme poverty. Y'all know what extreme poverty means? None of us have ever faced extreme poverty. Extreme poverty for these people meant no clean water. Extreme poverty for these people meant no place to live. And there are still places in the world where extreme poverty is a realistic thing. Most of us have no idea what it's, we are the wealthiest 1% of people in the world in this room right here, believe it or not. You're like, really? Yeah, you. And yet they urgently pleaded with Paul for the ability to share their money with other people. Wow. And what this should tell us, I believe is, is they did not base their decision to give on how much they had. Because their life was ordered in such a way so that all they had belonged to God. See, the myth for us in the Western world is that if we have more, then we will give more. And there is not one statistic that says that's true. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, if I can't trust you with a little, I know I can't trust you with a lot. The wealthier people get, the smaller percentage of their income they typically give. Now, there are exceptions. And by the grace of God, some of them go here. But, I mean, for real. But, but, but it is true that the wealthier you get, you don't get... Is it easier to give a dollar or a million? It's easier to give a dollar, right? And so that's why this, this point of this is with whatever you have, it is the time to use it for God. Wait, we, we, if, if you have convinced yourself that God is telling you to wait until you have more, or maybe you're one of these people that's like, I need a sign that God wants me to use my money. I, I haven't been given, I need a sign. Here's a sign. There's a whole book. <laughs> Here's a whole bunch of signs. Like, if, if, if you're holding on to what you have, that's when you need the sign. Let me know what burning bush told you to do that because it's not in here. So, the theme of the Bible from cover to cover is not that you do a lot when you have a lot. It's you do whatever you can with whatever you have. I had a lady this week. This is so cool. And the timing of this, I, I don't know. She, she wrote me a note and... She was incredibly generous with $20. And I know this lady's income, and so I understand the level of generosity this was for her. And she said, I felt weird because I know this was such an insignificant amount, but God was calling me to be obedient. It wasn't insignificant to her. It wasn't insignificant to Jesus when the widow gave the last mite that she had. You, you don't get to decide what's insignificant and what's not inside the kingdom of God. We don't have that kind of authority. So just because someone give 100 and say, it doesn't matter. You do what you have, what you can with what you have, and that's what matters. God is not judging you on the amount. He's looking at your heart. The next one, this, this, this is probably my favorite thing from today, and this is the one that sticks in my crawl the most. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you, each of you 
not some of you, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, 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 listen to that word, need, need, that's different than want. Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply an increase. And your store and your seed will enlarge the harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of things. Because of the service of which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. He says, you will reap what you sow. And somewhere along the line, the church got a hold of this and figured out we could make money by telling you, if you give money, money is what you will get back. And I've watched enough television preachers to know, I've heard it. We have robbed God of his glory with that line of thinking. Listen, can, can God supply for your financial needs through giving? Absolutely. Absolutely. There, there is story after story after story. But if you are expecting a dollar for dollar return from God, you have undersold God far too, far too poorly. Like, it's, we believe when we give God, you know, that old 1099 and God will give you $1,000. What? It's nonsense. God operates in things so far beyond money. Reaping what you sow is not about giving a dollar and getting a dollar back. That's, that's, that's nothing. That's nothing. It's about freedom. It's about freedom. Do you trust? And this, this is, you got to work this out in your head. And this is, listen, there are no pledge cards at the end of this. But do you trust that God can provide for your needs? Do you trust that? Because the truth is, and I've read this, I'm reading this thing cover to cover this year, and the truth is, the narrative is, either you trust God with your money or you trust your money more than your God. And there's no, there's no other, there's no loopholes here. There's no other way around it. Like some people trust that if they sow generously with God, generosity is what they will receive. And guys, I know story after story after story of people who, who they didn't become. I know, you know some incredibly wealthy people who are miserable, right? Y'all ever see these Hollywood people and they've got everything in the world. And, you know, they, they just, their lives just fall apart. Why? Because they gave their life at the altar of money, and money did not do what money can never do. It didn't satisfy. And that's why he says, man, you will reap what you sow. If you sow generosity, then God will pour out generosity on you. And his generosity is not bound by money. Like, we, we, we must get a bigger view of this. I don't want more money, if the truth be told. What I want is to be free. I want financial freedom. 
right? That's what we want. We want financial freedom. And there is no amount of money that can set you free financially. There's no amount of money in the world. That's why I don't want more money from God. But if he gives me, I'm not going to turn it down. But I don't want more money. I want more freedom. And the only way to have that is to trust God. The only way to experience freedom financially is to trust God with your finances. And if you don't believe me, I can introduce you to 25 people, many of who are sitting in this room right now, who are free from the worry about money. And it's not because they have bucket loads. It's because they've surrendered it all to God. Last thing, and we're going to close this out with a message from Jesus himself. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. And it says this. this. This is amazing. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be. And that's it. Why does God care about your money? Why does a God who can speak humanity into existence care about money? Because he cares about your heart. He wants your heart. And he knows for a fact your heart will follow your treasure. And so the message is not money is bad. The message is not you shouldn't make money, you should. The message is not you shouldn't save money, you should. The message is not you shouldn't enjoy money, you should. But you should not become a slave to it. And so, the way to place your heart with God is to place your treasures with God. And that's, for every idol we look at, it's going to be the same thing. If you place it with God, it cannot own you because he then owns it. And he wants you to be free. He does not need our money. He is the God of the sparrows. He has the way of providing for everything he wants to. But the only way we will ever experience freedom and the only way that we will look different from the world is if we have a different worldview on the things of God. And, and we don't own the money. We're stewards of every, I'm steward of my body, I'm steward of my resources, I'm steward of my family, I'm steward of this church. I am a steward, that means I am an ambassador, I am a holder for someone else. It's not mine anyway. So we've got to get to a point where we understand that. You know guys, today I, 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 I thought, like I dreamed that I told, dreamt that I told um, the host not to pass buckets at the end of this one. And I'll tell you why, because I didn't want anyone to give under compulsion, because the Bible is super clear on that. It's like, listen, if you're not into it, don't even worry about it, because God's not after your money, he's after your heart. Uh, if you can't get there, you need to deal with that problem and work through it. You can't deny that it's a problem. Be honest about the God you're serving, but work through it, then begin to give. But one of the things I've thought about is, for some of you, giving is great joy. For my family and I, it's, my, my wife was a single mom raising a kid by herself. I don't even know, I don't even know what your understanding of God was, but you tithed. And I thought it was hot, and I still do. <laughs> I mean, <but> like, <laughs> there was just so much joy in her for that. And my dad, my dad, my dad's not rich, but he's found so much joy in generosity. And like, I don't, I don't care to stand up here and beg you to give. I don't, I don't care. That's not, I want us to be free. 
And so we're going to pass buckets today. And I pray, you know, one of the coolest things we could ever show the world. When we first started talking about whether or not to pass buckets, we debated this, like debated, right? Because people were like, well, our DNA doesn't pass buckets and we're known as the church that doesn't pass buckets. And I was like, we're known as the church that doesn't pass buckets. Like, there's a lot of other things going on here. What if we became known as the church that did that joyfully? And when someone was a guest in here, if you're a guest in here today, I hope what you're about to see when we stand up and we sing this closing song and buckets pass, I hope what you see is people who are so free that they're smiling as they give. That this, that, that, that prayer it's worship for us, and music is worship for us. And when that bucket comes by, it is worship for you. It is worship. And not because I've stood up here or, you know, brought up some three-year-old to, to trick your emotions. Please give to me so I can have space. You know, I'm not Sally Struthers, feed the children or something. Like, it shouldn't take all that. Like, just worship God. Just worship Him with everything. Like worship him with music and worship him with money and worship him with your life and, and don't do that because, because you want to build things. Do it because you want to be free and do it because you want when the world sees you, you want them to see something different in you. And, and, and if you're not there yet, I get it. But take a step, man. Do something. And if today you, you've simply come to realize that your God is the God of money, you're not the first one. You're not the first one in here. But there is hope.